Hi, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon, and this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read, heard, done, I don't know, the list is endless at this point, to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Rami, what are we talking about this week? Okay, before we get there, I have a question for you, Shannon. Yes. Uh, If you could go back in time and see any musician or musical act perform that you can't see today who would it be i have no freaking clue the first experience that comes to mind which is shocking for me they may still be a band i don't know but i vividly remember seeing it was like a small indie band called i think they're delta spirit Mm -hmm. on what's the island in saint paul some random harriet no, maybe. There's more islands in St. Paul? I don't, maybe that is the island. I just don't know the name of it. But it was like on an island in St. Paul. And they were just playing. And it was like you could just feel how much they were into it. And it made you be right there with them in that moment. Okay. No, Shannon, sorry. Let's pull back one big step. Yeah. Like the Beatles. Like those types of things. Like no. Beethoven. What about like Bach or one of those other guys? No, I don't know. Like that was a really meaningful experience for me to just see them. So I don't, none of those really appeal to me. Whitney Houston? Yeah, she'd be amazing to see. There's like no one you listen to and you're like, oh, they're dead. It'd be cool if they weren't dead and I could have seen them. No, I guess I don't have that same Elvis? No, Uh, not Elvis. That doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. Sam Cooke? No. No? I, I don't know. Miles Davis? I, like, you clearly have some, though. So mine would be a band named Talking Heads, which I could see. They're all alive. They just refuse to be a band. So uh, that would be mine. I'm very excited because this week, and I think in, like, a few more weeks, we're going to have two talking heads books and my wife told me i'm not allowed to read anymore so we're gonna have two and then i have to be done because she said i would not stop talking about talking heads there's no the it's just talking heads shannon do you know the band talking heads no do you know the song psycho killer it has french in it i don't psycho killer kiss kiss say fa 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 i don't think i do what about burning down the house? Probably not. I really do not feel cool in this moment. I think you do know Talking Heads, and I think you will find some Talking Heads to listen to after this, and then you'll be like, "Yeah, I do know Talking Heads." You go to Spotify, you listen, you look at the top ones, and you'll be like, "Actually, I have heard these songs." Why do you love them so much? They're super uh, funky. Okay. In that, like, every single song makes you want to dance. And I really enjoy the idea that I could just get up and dance any of their songs. Okay, so you're in love with this band. They're not a band anymore. You wish you could go back in time and see them. Yeah, I think somewhere between... So they're one of the bands... So. The book that we're talking about is Remain in Love. Uh, Chris Franz was the drummer in Talking Heads. His wife, Tina Weymouth, is also in the band. She's the bassist. And then they formed the band, Chris did, with David Byrne, who is the lead singer. Have you heard of David Byrne, Shannon? 
The name sounds familiar. Uh, and then, so the two of them formed the band. And then they added Tina, which was his girlfriend at the time. And then they added Jerry Harrison to be uh, piano and additional guitar and singing and all those things. Um, Can I ask a question just out of curiosity? Yes. Why did they break up? Let's get there. We're going to tell the story. Okay, okay, this is okay. this is Talking Heads Day. We're okay. just going to talk about Talking Heads. Well, and have you ever seen them live or did they break up before like your time? Never. Okay. I couldn't I could never have seen them live. Okay. I would have not existed. Okay. Actually, there's one time I could have seen them and we'll get to it and there's no world where I would have been allowed to go to it. So, uh Chris Franz, this is his autobiography. Uh, I actually think it's a very poorly written book. What a compelling argument to read it, but that's not the point of the episode. No, if you like Talking Heads, it's a good book in that like no other member has written a history of Talking Heads. So it, f- from that perspective, it's really good because he has firsthand account to all of this. I don't... I've read now a few biographies in a row, autobiographies, and I don't know how people are so good at remembering detail, Shannon. How, like, if you were like Rami, write about your years in college, I'd be like, I got three anecdotes and could tell you nothing else. And these people are like, uh, it was 40 years ago, and I remember that Saturday morning I was uh, tuning my guitar, and this is what happened. I'm like, I don't, I couldn't, no. Like, I, I don't get it. I is bet it all you could for the really important moments in your own life, you know? Like if somebody really asked me to dive deep on my college experience and gave me a couple prompts, yeah, I could come up with some like very specific stories that are like emblazoned into my brain. I guess the level of detail that all these autobiographers have is so remarkable to me in that like he's like this concert, this thing happened, this concert, this thing happened, like the fact that you could play 300 concerts in a row and like delineate between specific instances when I assume you are quite inebriated on a lot of different things because it's the 70s and 80s. Like Stone Cold Sober, I don't think I could delineate between me doing 300 things in a row between each and every single one. But he somehow was like, yeah. And then we had a double encore i remember and we played these two songs this night and then the next night we had one encore and we played this i'm like how is that possible to remember any of these things well are you so obsessed with this band that you've looked up their set lists yeah and they exist so like he's not remembering from his own recollection like people have all the set lists everywhere so it was like okay cool and there's a lot of recordings of those things so it was really fun for me as i was reading about them to be like okay let me go find that like that recording of it and listen to it and like, see if I'm hearing what he's hearing. But it's funny because he's, he refers to a few and he's like, I wish I had a recording of that one. I'm like, there is a recording of that one. Like, why is no one sent it to you? Like someone just like need to burn it onto a CD and like send you this recording that you've apparently never heard that the rest of us have all heard. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go through and I'll just hit you with questions. Cause I think it, 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 it leads to interesting discussions as we think about, the formation of a band and a band that becomes very successful. So he, in this book, so the next book that we'll talk about is uh, how music works by David Byrne. The band breaks up 
spoiler, like in the early 90s, in a in a very upsetting way, I think, to him and to the rest of the band outside of David Byrne, who's the lead singer. He writes almost all of the songs. And so this whole book is written from like a angry place. Mm. Like he always tries to take credit where it's probably due and then tries to discredit and throw David Byrne under the bus at any any chance he gets. Wow. Like at any point he he will throw him under the bus. And it's really funny because this book was written 2 years ago I think and David Byrne's book was written in the mid 2000s I think. And David Byrne talks about talking heads in his book as a point to a a means of telling his story about like how music works. And he goes, yeah, my friend, Chris, Chris France, writer of this book, like wanted to start a band. And so, um, I joined him and he like refers to him as like, Oh, my good friend, Chris. And like, there's nothing, there's no emotion there and there's no anger. It's just like, yeah, my friend, my good friend, Chris, like wanted to start this band. So like we started a band together. Right. And so they formed a band when they were at RISD I, I remember going to Rhode Island for work once and like having to go and see RISD because Talking Heads formed there. I don't think anybody else really cared, but I was like, we're going to see RISD. I need to go see this place because that's where Talking Heads formed. So when they started, they were a band called The Artistics uh, and they mostly just played cover. And so what they did was after they graduated, uh, Chris and Tina moved to New York and they met up with David who didn't graduate, but had also gone to RISD and they all lived together in a loft in a like horrible, horrible loft. Um, and they started a band and it was just crisp on the drums and David on the guitar and David was singing. And then after a while, Tina joined them because she was in the loft all the time. It was probably like, if you guys could sit here making noise, like, I'm going to join in. Like, what else am I supposed to do? I can't, like, read in the corner over here. So they all formed, at that point, the band Talking Heads. And they are actually one of the bands that got their start at this club in New York called CBGB's, which became very famous for bands like the Ramones. Uh, But Talking Heads played a lot there. What I find very interesting, and and I want to go into this, is they performed as a band, original music for four years before they recorded their first album. Oh, wow. And I think it was almost three years before they recorded their first single. So record people, labels would come in and they say, hey, like, we want to record you guys. And they kept telling them, like, we do not feel like we are good enough to record. And they went on tour of Europe at least once, if not twice, with the Ramones with no album. Oh, my gosh. This is wild. I've, I'm, I'm just kind of in shock a little bit right now. I've not heard of a story like that. At first, I was expecting – I would expect it if it was like they weren't yet big enough, you know, like they, or they couldn't get the break, if you will. Like there's musicians that I follow on social media who haven't gotten their break, so to speak, to record their own album, but they are releasing originals all the time. Mm-hmm. But that's not what you're describing. Like they were good enough, they were big enough, they were in pursuit, but they chose not to. They chose to wait. Which I think is so fascinating because if you think about 
musicians nowadays, they only become super famous because they're putting out music that becomes viral on TikTok, right? Like think of someone like Olivia Rodrigo. Like yeah. clearly she like was doing things. But there's no way that she was like, I'm I've been performing now these same songs for four years and now I feel really good about them. So like let's get them down. Like let's go record these in the studio. Like she may have never performed them live prior to recording them in the studio. Right. Right. That's just not the way now it seems. Which I think is just so fascinating because by the time Talking Heads goes to record, they're like, yeah, we can do this in one take because we do it in one take every night when we perform it. We perform this hundreds of times. So I think that's really fascinating. So if you think of them as being a touring band to begin with without recording, right? Like you want to see Talking Heads, you want to listen to Talking Heads, you couldn't just go get a record. Like you got to go go see them. I got to go see them. Like, that's the only way to experience their music. Wow. Which is really fascinating to me. And when we get to how music works, we'll talk a lot about music and how it works. And I think there's something very interesting about the idea that they were a touring band. Okay. So they record their first album. It comes out. It's pretty successful. Um, When they record their first album, it's, it's a mix of everybody kind of doing a little bit of everything. Like you'll see the songwriting credits. Some are to Chris, some are to Tina. Um, It's not exclusively David Byrne. When you get to the second album, it's basically David Byrne. So he, for the second album, wrote all the songs. And so what they would do is the band would jam for a while. Until they felt like they got like, okay, this is cool. Like, this is a chorus. Okay, this is cool. Like, this is a, a bridge or whatever. I don't know what pieces of music are. This is part of, this is a different part of the song. And then once they had enough of those, they're like, okay, let's go and um, bring those into the studio and like extend them out. Because we know we have pieces and like, let's make those into songs. So then they would do that. And then once they felt like they had the songs, then David Byrne would come in and take those and write all the lyrics to them after the fact. So you end up with David Byrne, like doing a lot of the song composition. So that's how they do their second album. And it's fascinating because you kind of start to pull away from the band. And so right now we're talking about 77, 78, 79, 80, they're still touring a ton, right? So they're basically like touring, recording, touring, but like almost all nonstop. And so by the time you get to their third and fourth albums, David Byrne, the lead singer, the writer of most of the lyrics and the songs, is really trying to figure out like, how do we elevate our stage presence? So when they started out, they would go on and their only direction to the lighting team was, we want the lights all the house lights on. And then when we leave, we want them off. Like we don't need any lights. We don't need anything. They would wear like Lacoste polos. Oh my gosh. Um, like they're very, they're very minimal. But like, if you think about, they're playing with the Ramones, the Ramones come on out in like leather jackets, like punk rock. Like everybody is like pogoing. It's that thing where you like jump up and down. Yeah. And um, 
they in punk rock you also like spit on the band if you think they're doing a good job so there's like lots of spit so you have like the ramones and then you have talking heads like showing up as like a preppy like new wave funk band who are like very clean cut and like not at all the like music that the fans are usually there to go see Okay, so they're recording their first few albums. They are now headliners. They've got big songs. Once they get to their fifth album, David Byrne's really like, okay, we need to take our our stage presence and really, like, our concert and make it an event. Like, we need to make this a performance. Like, a thing that people go, whether or not they like our music, like, and say, oh, I just saw something that was so amazing. Like, going to Broadway or going somewhere else, right? Like, yeah. I saw a piece of performance. And so they named that tour Stop Making Sense. And they actually recorded it with Jonathan Demme. And it may be, it won, I think it won the Oscar for Best Documentary, but it may be one of the greatest rock movies of all time. And that's not me saying it. I will biasly say that. But unbiasedly, it's very highly regarded as one of the greatest rock films ever. Um... And so, let me describe how it plays out. So, the way that it starts is David Byrne comes out with a guitar and a boombox. And he, like, pushes play in the boombox, and it starts playing the background to Psycho Killer. He plays the other part on his guitar, and then he sings it, just by himself. Lone man on a stage. Then, Tina comes out with her bass, and the two of them perform Heaven with just a bass and a guitar. Then Chris France gets rolled out on his drum kit, and then they go into the next song. And then Jerry Harrison rolls out. And then slowly, as the performance grows, you've got more people showing up. And in the same time frame, David Byrne's suit slowly gets bigger and bigger. Wait, um, what? So if, so if you've ever seen the picture of David Byrne in like a gray suit that's like humongous, it looks kind of like a playing card. I'm going to have to look this up after. It's a very famous, iconic suit. But his suit slowly gets bigger throughout the format. So at the end, he's in this, like, humongous suit. He does a... You know the song, uh, This Must Be the Place, Naive Melody, Shannon? Oh, it's where I want to be. Pick me up and turn me around. Maybe. He does, like, a lampshade dance with it. Like, he dances with it like it's a human being. The whole movie's a groove. You've obviously not seen Stop Making Sense. No, I have not. It is available on YouTube if you just type in Stop Making Sense. I think the one that I found the other day was like the 4K version of it, but it's out there. Um, I've seen it twice. And I ask people about this movie all the time. It came out in the mid 80s because what I was told, having not been alive, was that people would get up and dance in the aisles in a movie theater during this movie. I go, no way. That is not true. I've seen it twice, Shannon, both times. People get up and dance the entire time. Yeah. I've never in my life experienced anything like that in a movie theater. Yeah, I have not either. But it I, it doesn't surprise me at the same time because it's like a movie about music. So it feels more natural in that setting. Right. But like we've watched, I don't know. Okay. the We talked about this the other week. The Beyonce yes. Black is King. Yes. That's like a musical yeah. movie. Talia gets up and dances during it. I don't. Right. But Talia will dance every time we watch it at some part. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, like, I think, but, like, if you were to play that in the theater, I don't think anybody in the theater is going to stand up and start dancing. Probably not. They would be self-conscious, I imagine. So, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. Shannon, here's my question for you. Have you been to a concert where you just let the music wash over you and you just, like, start dancing and live your life? Probably not. No. Maybe the closest thing is what I talked about at the beginning with Delta Spirit. Maybe that's why that experience is so, like, impactful to me. You just connected and you were like, yep. You're in it. I don't I don't care if I look stupid. I'm just going with the flow. Yeah. Have you? Oh, yeah. My wife and I have seen LCD Sound System a few times. And I think they're a spiritual successor to Talking Heads. And every time, everybody's just like dancing the whole time. And it's a very like communal thing in that some of the people are probably on things, but I think most of them are not. And I think it's just the music and the like atmosphere. And everybody just like is... Living it. Living their lives, Shannon. Yeah. Dancing it up. So at that point, David Byrne goes, I don't know how to top this. I, I don't think we can top this in terms of performance. Right? Like, I don't know how, one, because it was so well regarded. And two, because it was so unique in that time frame for a rock band to do almost like performance art as a part of the the concert. He goes, okay, I don't want to tour anymore. Like, I'm done with that. Just tells the band, like, we're over it. And then, so the rest of the band is like, okay, but, like, that's how we make our money because none of us are writing any of the songs, right? So, like, when you think about how you make money in music, it's the person who wrote the song, the lyrics, and who wrote the music, like, they get part of the money. Yeah. But because you performed on a song, like, you're not making that much. And so he was like, I want to, I want to stop touring. And so at this point, Chris and his wife, Tina, start their own band called the Tom Tom Club. Um, have you heard of the Tom Tom Club? No, Shannon? I have not heard so of the Tom Tom Club. they made a song called Genius of Love, which if you hear Genius of Love, you'll recognize it because it's been, it's the most sampled hip hop song of all time it's not i don't think it of itself is a hip-hop song but it has like one of the most well-known drum and bass lines like ever yeah. it's the most sampled song so they form that band and become hugely successful like they have a number one song before talking heads have a number one song and are like very very famous wow which is a weird place to be but they stopped touring and anytime David would call them and say, hey, I've got more material. Let's go record an album. They would get together. They'd record an album. And then they kind of just like make some music videos. And like, that was it. They wouldn't really tour anymore after the, the Stop Making Sense. So Chris is like super upset about it throughout the book and uses it as an excuse to like take shots at David Byrne. And he talks about him being awkward with people a lot. He's like, oh, he's super awkward. Doesn't look people in the eyes. And he's like, yeah, I guess he's like a self diagnosed like um being on the autistic scale it's like well if that's the guy like why are you taking shots at him like <laughs> yeah i just want to make sure i'm tracking here for a little bit so chris and his wife tina are the ones that went to form the tom tom club yeah club okay i guess i can see where they would be a little frustrated if david 
was getting all the royalties from like pretty much every song. Like that, that that's kind of a tough place to be in to be like, oh, I'm it, not getting any royalties, and you don't want to tour anymore, so we got to go do something else because we need to freaking like earn a living. Well, I think they're they're more upset because they can't tour, right? Like when you go on tour, it's like, oh, we're gonna make a bunch of money. Like that's how. Yeah, like it's the way that they basically made the making. Money. They didn't make any money off of Talking Heads unless they toured. So I exactly. can understand if they would be frustrated with them. For sure. And so we flash forward to, they record a few more albums. They, the way they record the, like, not the last two albums, but the two leading up to that are so fascinating in that David would write the music and the lyrics, bring them to them and say, okay, we're just going to record these. And so at that point, they were almost like a recording band for... David Byrne, yeah. which is fine because they all loved talking heads and they loved being together. So they were like, yeah, that's fine. Like, we want to do Did this thing. Did they know at that point? It, I mean, they kept doing it. So I, I don't know. That part of the book gets really lean because there's like nothing going on. Yeah. Right. Like they get together, they record and like, that's it. Um, so. Let me ask you this question. Because you already answered the first part, which is how you'd feel about it. And you would be equally upset. How would you feel about it 30 years later, thinking back on that time, though, knowing that the music that you recorded is still alive and well and people are still loving? I mean, I hope I would get over it 30 years from now. But it might take me five or six. I don't know. I I think it's hard to think about your life is defined by one or two bands. Yeah. And the fact that you don't get to dictate how one of those played out, I think is really hard. Yeah. I don't know. Like I have, I have compassion for them in that sense, but also 30 years, that's a long time to be mad. That's a long time to, to be stuck in some negative emotions and not find a new purpose in your life other than just being really angry that a band didn't go the way that you wanted it to go yes so they record a few albums and then all of a sudden they hear from a magazine who reaches out our newspaper they're like hey we heard that talking heads is broken up like what do you mean like we didn't know this so like the three of them connected with the lawyer and are like what's up like we just thought this was like a normal we record an album, we take a break type situation. And they finally like found out and they're like, nope, David Burns over it. He doesn't want to do it anymore. So they break up in 91 and it seems like they have some contact, but very little contact with each other post breakup. Like, I think they're still friends with Jerry Harrison, the fourth member, uh-huh. but like very little interaction with Between uh, David, David and the other three. Yeah. So the book has a nice ending. In 2002, they get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they're like, oh, bands usually will perform if they're alive. We're all alive. Is there a shot that the four of us are going to get together and like perform? Um, and so please their, tell me they did. Please tell me their they manager. Did. Their manager gets them together. They like go into this like um it's where the chelsea Piers is now but apparently it was like a dumpster back then in 2002 so they find a space they practice for a few days and um they get inducted into the hall of fame 
They perform three songs. So that's where I'm saying, like, Thank that's the God. one time I could have seen Talking Heads. But there was no world where I was going to get invited to Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Yeah. So that's the one time they played. And so you're like, they're on cloud nine, right? Like, they did it. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Like, this is going to be, Chris is going to tell a very positive story here. Like, he's not going to use this to, to take digs at David Byrne, is he? So this is the story he tells. After they perform, they, like, do um, some, like, interviews and stuff because, like, they obviously get inducted out of Hall of Fame. And then he goes, he, the story he tells is David Byrne's wife kept looking for David Byrne. He's like, I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is. Like, he's going to show up. Like, we've done the interviews. Like, we just saw him. Like, I don't know where he is. But, like, there's a bunch of people. There's parties. Like, whatever. Like, we'll find him. And he's like, the whole time they couldn't find him. So, like, finally he helped David Byrne's wife, like, leave. He, like, got her a taxi, whatever, sent her on her way. Then he finds out the next day that David Byrne decided at that moment, that night, to divorce his wife and, like, was done with her. And that's the story he tells in his book? Oh, gosh. Like, why do these stories need to be told? Like, this guy needs therapy, man. I, you think this wasn't his therapy? I feel like it was very not effective therapy to, like, go through and write this. Yeah. Yeah. This was not his therapy. He has some more shit to process, if I can just say well, that. Yeah. And I think the thing that's so fascinating to me is if we re- go back to the Stop Making Sense tour and David Byrne goes, I don't know how we can top this. Like, we can't do any better than this. So, like, I think we're done touring. At least I'm done touring until I can figure out how to top this experience. And then you go and you think about, okay, he got back together with this band that he hasn't seen in 10 years. He's probably like, oh, that was fun. But like, I don't need to do this ever again. Like, I'm cool. Like not being a part of this band. Yeah. It's probably like also him going through his head and saying, oh, maybe like I've been doing the same thing in my relationship with my partner and like. Maybe today is just a good day for me to, like, be done with things and, like, start fresh tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, David needs therapy, too, if we can just, like, Absolutely. acknowledge that. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, not a cool move <laughs> in any way, but no. it's like, oh, I get it. And it's like, Chris France doesn't need to tell that story. Like, that's not his story to tell. It is. And David needs therapy, too, because he has a clear pattern of ghosting people. So, or oh, kind for sure. of ghosting, you know, like. For sure. Like, no one's a winner in this situation, but, like. We could have a lot of winners because we yeah. just got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Shannon. Yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. So I say all of that to ask a big question, which is when you think back, and this is, I guess, for us to unpack, Shannon, but also for our listeners, is like, as you think back on your life, your career, your achievements, are there moments that you're still really angry about? And like, how can you start to, to talk through those things and start to move past them? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I think of certain roles that I've left at times and I still don't, I don't, I know that I fully haven't fully like processed that moment in my career or life. Yeah. And I think that that's okay for me. And I know that that's going to take me time to kind of look back on that super fondly. Yeah. But I, I think it also, to me at least is like, well, I don't know that if I was going to write it down, if, well, okay. I think if I was going to write it down, I'd probably write it down angry. And then I think if I were to publish it, I think I would 
revise it to be less angry if I could work through that feeling to it. So it's more like, how do you start to work through those things in a healthy way so that you don't have resentment, right? Like, if I put myself in Chris Franz's shoes, I think about, we recorded all these amazing albums. People love this music. People love us because of this music. We're in the freaking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, how many people could say that? And like, I still have to be angry about that whole experience which took up a third of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It really is sad. It really is sad. And it is a good food for thought to think about. And the the other stories are worth rewriting in your own. So this is where I say, when you think about, this is the other tactical thing I want to ask is when you think about people you've had falling outs with, how do you think they're going to tell their version of the story? Yeah. Right. Because Chris is like telling these stories about David and like all of this and all Chris gets in David's book is my good friend Chris like wanted to start a band. And so we started a band together and like he'll tell stories about him. But like that's what he gets is my good friend Chris, where he decides to say, and this is the night that he got divorced from his wife was during our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, what when you say that story again, what that makes me think is like where what does it make? chris look like it makes him look like a guy that's just like reaching for another five seconds of fame like reaching for Mm -hmm. another like dirty nasty story that he can tell about his bandmate that was more famous than him versus it really saying anything about chris himself and who he Uh is i mean it says a lot about who he is as a person but the story isn't even about him Mm -hmm. and that says a lot oh for sure if you're not telling stories that are about you well i think Yes. And then especially that. But then like if you're looking back on a moment with anger, like that doesn't mean that the other person is. And if they're not looking back on it with anger, like that's where I say like I I think it's important for us to think about those relationships or those experiences that we've had that that are still upsetting to us. Yeah. And trying to unpack them and, and finding a way to move past them because the coldness in which David talks about it is very like, it's very black and white to him. Like, Oh, we were done touring because I couldn't figure it out. So like we went on to the next thing. And Chris is like, we can't just stop touring. We're a touring band. We literally had no music for four years. All we did was tour. Yeah. And so I think it's put yourself in the other person's shoes, find a way to move past those things. And like, hopefully there's still like a relationship that you can go back to after that extended period of time. Yeah. Important lessons. Mostly just me talking about talking heads so that my wife doesn't have to listen to me talk about talking heads. Well, but it is giving me pause. Like there's, I wouldn't say there's like moments in my career that I'm angry about that, but there's maybe still like, like two or three relationships that are still prickly for me. And it mm-hmm. gives me pause to think about, well, how would they tell the story? It was probably they would be maybe like, where am I being the Chris in this story? Yes. And where, where are, they, are you being the Chris? Where are you being the Chris? And where are they being the David that's like, not maybe in a shitty way, but maybe David commodified these people a little bit of like, you're not important. Like, and, and this is what happened next, you know, facts instead of treating people like people. But Chris took oh, it for sure. personally or made it personal. Yes. Maybe it didn't have to be. So that's Remain in Love by Chris Franz, which the title is a little, 
so they have an album called Remain in Light. So Remain in Love is a play on that. But like, he even like ends it by saying like, yeah, Remain in Love. It's like the whole book was so angry, dude. Like, I don't think any part of this was Remaining in Love. Well, and honestly, when I saw this episode title Remain in Love, and when you were telling the story, I was thinking, oh, so like, that's the encouragement to the listener. So like, how can you remain in love with things that have passed in your life or like that you've moved on from instead of being angry? Holy shit. It's just now dawning on me. That's what he titled his own book. And he is the angry one. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's so, some lacking self-awareness right there. That's what I'm saying. It's not very good. I'm happy you guys now know about Talking Heads. I hope you can go listen to Talking Heads and enjoy Talking Heads. I hope you can watch part of or all of Stop Making Sense. It is on YouTube. And enjoy that as well. And my question for you guys is what is your favorite Talking Heads song? And Shannon is going to tell us after she listens to some which one she already had heard before and recognizes. I'm going to I'm going to go open Spotify right after read off this call. I love it. With that, I've been Rami and I've been Shannon and this has been Workplace Hugs. Mm-hmm.